Hello and welcome to Do Not Steal, an original character podcast about tabletop critics. I'm starting again. Alright, let me let me give it a try. Welcome to Do Not Steal, an original podcast about tabletop. How'd I do? You're so mean to me. <laughs> You're just no. so rude. And now, no. now that no, you really nice. so rude, this I'm really nice. Now. I'm really nice. And this is the intro. Welcome to our blip blip podcast. Um, Welcome to Do Not Steal, a podcast about tabletop criticism and more importantly, ROCs. That's right. I'm Olivia Joseph. And I'm mean. <laughs> that's that's so true. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I'm Olivia Joseph, the dog that does no wrong. Yeah. Uh, we're clearly establishing who is the baby face and who is the heel of this particular podcast episode. I don't know what wrestling is. Uh, good guy and bad guy. Oh. So mm-hmm. would would you say uh, those terms are akin to hero or and villain? I don't know what those are. Sorry. <sighs> well, someone didn't read the book very clearly. Did they? <laughs> <laughs> someone, no. Someone no. was not doing a lot of close reading this month. Uh, no, I hate reading. What book did you read? Um, well, I, and apparently only I, uh, mm-hmm. read Masks by Brendan Conway. Hi, Brendan Conway. Uh, Brendan, not Brandon. Okay. Brendan, uh, yeah. Brandon's a different guy. Yeah, yeah. Well, okay, there are multiple guys named Brandon. No, no, there's only the one. No, there's Brandon the Slenderman Ingram, star basketball player for the New, or- New Orleans Pelicans. Wait, they actually call him the Slenderman? Yeah, yeah, he's Slenderman. No, okay. If you are listening at home, look up a picture of Brandon Ingram. B-R-A-N-D-O-N-I-N-G-R-A-M. And you'll see why they call him Slenderman. I'm doing this right now. That's a full body. Oh, this man is lanky. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. That's all the nicknames are fucking cool. <laughs> uh, I got one where he's about to do a slam dunk, and so his, like, arms are up and extended backwards. Very long arms. Yeah. It's so cool that there's just, like, a very viable career path for people with, like, the weirdest body shapes imaginable. <laughs> yeah. Um, I've got one picture where he's being blocked and is making a kind of like offended, annoyed face. <laughs> that rules. <laughs> Good expression. Alright. Anyway, Masks is a Powered by the Apocalypse uh, superhero themed tabletop RPG about teenage superheroes. Mm-hmm. Did I miss anything? Uh, no, not particularly. Um, we did this in large part because we were kind of going through a list of like, oh, what are some like subgenres of, you know, geek culture um, that we haven't done yet? You know, because we've done mechs and we've done dungeon crawls and we've done JoJo's and all that good stuff. Um, yeah, those, it's like, those are the primal archetypes of geek culture geek culture yeah, yeah, yeah those are the subclasses that you get to choose from when you become a higher level dweeb um and we were like okay so which ones haven't we done before 
And one of the ones that was a uh, blind spot for us, as it turns out, was the whole wide world of superheroes. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's a lot of superhero RPGs. um, And it seems like, I'm sure there are exceptions to this, but from the kind of, you know, cursory research that we did trying to find a good system to take a look at, or an interesting system to take a look at at the very least, um, they fall into the camps of either like, extreme 90s crunch and like point by systems which like if you want to hear our thoughts on those listen to the eclipse phase episode don't love it um and then there were a bunch more recent ones that were pbtas of like a few different uh like stripes and tones uh and this felt like it's the most interesting one you know there's only so much you can say about pbtas uh we've kind of made our general feelings about them clear but um, I think the tone is pretty cool. It's pretty fun. It's uh, what are what's like the official list of inspirations that they have here? Because um, they list out like the specific superhero stories that are. Here we go: Young Justice, Teen Titans, Young Avengers, Runaways, Miss Marvel, Wolverine, and the X Men. Um, so that that type of stuff, right? It's it's about melodrama. It's it can get very, like, you know, emotionally intense, but in a way that teenagers do. It's not actually, like, a super, you know, gritty or thought-provoking type of game. Um, and, you know, it seems like uh, it's it's a type of tone that would be really fun to play in. Because uh, what are RPGs, if not opportunities to overact and no one can yell at you for it? <laughs> yeah, we... We are, we're, we're, I think with this and with the Eidolon episode, we're starting to codify, like, the Do Not Steal Teen episode. <laughs> yes. Um, which is just a fun, a fun, like, demographic, I guess? It doesn't feel right to say, but, yeah. yeah I think this, I know what you're saying. Like, this is, like, very specifically a game that's like, okay, you're playing 16 to 20 year olds. Yeah. Do not make a grown-ass adult. If they can drink, you you have got the wrong character. Yeah. Um, and, and specifically, because there's, like, some stories that kind of just, like, have young characters, but, you know, kind of just because, like, that's the assumed age of the reader and, you know, their, their teenness isn't necessarily, like, the, the core of what's going on. Um it is explicitly the core of what's going on here. Uh, the subtitle of the game is A New Generation. And while they encourage you to like make the the like the core setting your own in some ways and like figure out, you know, your unique spins on it, um, the things that they do want you to keep are the idea that like this is a setting where superheroes have already been around for a few generations. There are older and more established and more powerful superheroes around. And you're probably going to step into that mantle of being like the top dogs in Halcyon City soon enough. But for now, you're definitely like, you know, the protégés, the trainees, the the ones who are, are kind of like finding their footing and, and finding themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like, I, I would say like a big theme of the game is about this like... This sense of your character stepping into kind of like an existing ecosystem of, of heroes and villains and 
trying to self-define and also having their identities defined for them by other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, which I don't know if, if uh, we're getting ahead of ourselves in that way, but um, I think that like when we talk about this game's mechanics, uh, this is going to be like a pretty short, I feel like, game discussion section. And we're going to have a nice, nice ample amount of time to talk about our two little teen idiots that we've made. Um, but like, I think this is a good PBTA. Um, yeah. I don't think it's it's quite as like um, innovative or or like considerate with the form as something like fellowship, which really like does a lot to structurally change what the PBTA model is about. Um, but I think that there are some very cool like core ideas to it, and then as usual a lot of the the strengths or weaknesses of a PBTA game are just like, how good are the playbooks? Most of the playbooks here seem really strong. Um, and importantly, a lot of them have like their own unique mechanics where it's not just like, here's a list of moves, here's your starting stats and you're done. Um, but a lot of them have like unique systems to track that we'll, we'll get into later. Um, interestingly enough, not all of them do, which feels weird and kind of like, I don't know, because I, I can see the justification for wanting to have, like, okay, well, here are just some playbooks that only have moves, and that's it. Um, and I can see why you would maybe want those for people who are, like, you know, a little closer to being beginners, um, people who don't necessarily want this type of complexity. But for me, it's just like, man, if I'm playing, for example, The Outsider, which is, like, the alien playbook, like, if you're being Starfire from Teen Titans, for example... Um, there's just moves there. And some of the moves are pretty cool, but they really seem like you can kind of just dip into them from other playbooks and get at the heart of what makes that like playbook interesting to the extent that it is. Um, whereas like if I was playing that one and everyone else got their own like interesting, unique systems, I would definitely feel a little cheated. Yeah, I think especially because you can take moves from other playbooks um and it's mm -hmm. very easy to do that um yeah. i feel i feel like it is it is easy to feel like well i picked this like core playbook that has one or two things that are cool i guess but nothing yeah. that i couldn't have just like taken as a different kind of character there are definitely playbooks i think i'm a little cooler on the playbooks than you are there's a there's quite a few that i just would have no interest in playing um but i feel like it does lead to this kind of, I guess, like a hierarchy where it's like, here are the playbooks that have really specific ideas and like mm -hmm. things that they're trying to get across, narrative hooks, um, unique mechanics that are tied into those themes and those narratives. And then there's some that's just like, you are a big guy. Go ahead. So, okay. Okay. In defense of the big guy one, because I was thinking about how like, when you have a list of playbooks and one of them is the combat playbook, that one tends to feel pretty shafted. Um, I don't remember what it's called in Blades in the Dark, but there's one that's like, you know, the Enforcer or the, you know... The Cutters? Cutters, yeah. Those guys fucking suck. Um, very little going on. They're, you can tell they're kind of like stretching for like, what could interesting moves for the combat one be? 
Um, same with the Vanguard in Eidolon. Uh, felt like easily one of the least interesting playbooks to me. Um, and, you know, it, it just feels like there's an obligation at times to um, kind of just, like, make the combat class, which, you know, I think that's something, for example, like Heart did it a lot better because, like, there's just stats that you can have that contribute to your combat ability and multiple playbooks have those. Um, and there's none that really kind of like define themselves straightforwardly as the combat guy. Um, but there is one here that kind of is fulfilling that basic role. It's called the bull. Is that the one that you're talking about? Yeah. yeah okay. Well. I like the bull. I like the bull because there's this whole section here called the bull's heart. It says you always have exactly one love and one rival. You can change those at any given time and you get bonuses regarding them and you choose one of four roles that you commonly fulfill for your lover rival. Those are defender, friend, listener, and enabler. So it kind of is like, you know, you're the, you're the punchy guy, but you're also somebody who like really wears their emotions on their sleeve and, you know, has a, a big heart and whatnot. And that feels to me way more interesting than like how these are usually done. Um, I actually feel like it's it's some of the other ones of the playbooks that are just like, man, this is really half baked. Um, and like I, the outsider feels like it should have more going on. If you're literally the alien one, then it should feel like a weirder playbook to play instead of just like here's a nice list of moves that you can take. Mm-hmm. I think maybe the the most alien thing an outsider can do is like have a weird spaceship. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um and like I I don't know like where that comes from if it's just like that they were trying to model like the specific characters um that were inspired by it cuz like I mentioned Starfire but like she's not the only one, right? Like um they tell you outright at the end of every playbook like you know, you can play this if you want to emulate these characters from these source materials. Mm-hmm. Um, and the ones for the outsider are like Miss Martian, Marvel Boy, Zavin, Zavin from Runaway, Starfire, and Warlock. Um, so it might be that they were just like, okay, well, let's get moves to kind of mimic what we know about each of them. But it it does just feel like, man, you could have done a lot more with a couple of these. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, I think that the playbook that I ended up settling on for mine is really cool and does have its own, like, unique systems, uh, to the extent that, like, it doesn't actually have any of its own moves at all, and you can literally only just, like, take moves from other playbooks in addition to, like, your, your core, um, starting abilities. Um, you know, I, I... If if I can find a really cool playbook that I feel like would be really fun to play, then I feel like a PBTA has mostly done its job for me. But this definitely is the kind of system where it's just like, well, you're doing a comparatively a lot with the PBTA framework, but I also wish you had done more. Like if if you had kind of instead of um just kind of sitting on that that like relative safety of the PBTA model and tried something more kind of out there uh, to achieve the same, like, you know, general style of play, the general tone and, and theme and whatnot. Um, 
I feel like they could have done a lot more because they're clearly like talented game designers that have some cool ideas. But, you know, spoiler, Eidolon is creating a 2.0 system right now that is not PBTA anymore. And that feels like kind of what all of these systems should do at some point. Yeah, I think I have very similar feelings. Um, And I don't know if I would have these same feelings necessarily were I not, you know, doing this podcast and thus like incentivized to look for like tabletop games that kind of like strike out on their own and do different things rather than just like bringing a new powered by the apocalypse or forged in the dark game to every every month but Mm -hmm. yeah i do feel with masks especially i think kind of paradoxically i think it's because masks has you know like several ways in which it does kind of like branch out strongly from from a powered by the apocalypse game that i think it made me be like well i kind of want its own i kind of want this to be its own thing really yeah um yeah you can kind of see it struggling against like the edges of what's possible within the pbta framework and i think like the best the best parts of it are the parts where it's like okay we're gonna try something really new we've kind of been dancing around the label system but i think the label system is is very cool yeah Um, let's talk about it yeah so like they're this like stats in this game are replaced by these things called labels which are as they sound like labels or like identities or like ways of self-conception that the player characters have Right. Mm-hmm. So there is um, so they are danger, freak, savior, superior and mundane. Um, yeah. And each of them, I think what's interesting is that they all sound kind of harsh, you know? <laughs> yeah, there's not really like there's not really any of these labels that are like great to be is the thing, you know, yeah. it's like. There's like even Savior kind of has the vibes of like, you know, annoying goody two shoes. Yeah. And that's that's specifically like the way these things are written, which is like if you are like if you're really high on the danger one, you like see yourself as a person who can like jump into the fray and like handle stressful situations and do cool stuff, but there are also gonna be people around you who are like, Oh, you're you're a danger. Like you're gonna yeah. get us all in trouble, you're gonna get people hurt. And it's the same for like freak freak is both about like uniqueness and coolness and like doing things that only you can do and also like being unaccepted by normal people because they're like what the hell is your problem Mm -hmm. um and And, and again what is really cool about these kind of on a narrative and thematic level is that like like you said these aren't kind of like hard-coded definitions of what the character is or what they're capable of um superior is like kind of the smartest person in the room one but it's not like an intelligence stat it's specifically about like how you and other people see the like the sort of social construct of your intelligence yeah do they see you as like a know-it-all someone who's like desperate to be the smartest person in the room um or you could be like a very sort of like you know intelligent and thoughtful character as minus two superior because like you feel really insecure about showing that or, you know, you don't think of yourself that way. Yeah. When you are like rolling to, when you're rolling to like do something cool and physical um, and like impressive with danger, it's not because you're like, 
it's not because you're necessarily good at the thing. I think it, it's more it's more focused on the fact that like your character sees themselves and is seen by other people as someone who is good at doing those kinds of things and thus has like confidence in them. Yeah. Um and and it's cool because like that feels very right for the teen superhero genre, right? Where it's mm-hmm. these are all people that have powers of various degrees. There's like I think one playbook that's kind of about being someone with like, you know, weak powers relatively speaking. But it is a sort of thing where it's it's about kind of pressing your limits and coming into yourself and like yeah you probably could solve a lot of these situations with just a straightforward application of your powers but you might not be kind of like emotionally in a place that lets you do that productively and i think like another thing that is really interesting about the labels is that they like they're 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 never fixed like they are always they're always and frequently changing um yeah and I think, There's like some abilities that let you fix them, but those are like major investments, basically. Yeah, and those come at like character advancement. So they, in a very yeah. real r- way, they like represent your character's self-image, kind of like locking and becoming like immutable and unresponsive mm-hmm. to other people's opinions, which I think feels like feels cool and good, you know? Like yeah. When you when you lock a label, it's like, yeah, I'm going to be this, and this is like who I am. Um, but otherwise, if your labels are not locked, and like none of them are locked at the start, they are liable to like change and often change frequently throughout the game. So like, there is an influence mechanic which characters, both like non-player characters and also player characters, can have over each other. Um, and one of the like things that spending influence can do is it can allow you to shift someone's labels. So like one of the examples in the book is like a player character's dad who is also a superhero, like admonishing him for like putting people at risk and not like focusing on saving civilians. And that would be the dad's attempt to push their savior up and their danger down. You know, so like yeah. these, it, you kind of have like a total number of, I guess, like points in your labels. And so whenever one goes up, another goes down. And you're always kind of, you're always keeping that same general level of of points, but they can kind of like go up and down between like negative two and positive three, basically. Yeah, which I, I think is worth like emphasizing how interesting and unique that is that this is a system where like your core stats are constantly changing and like with your input to an extent because you can like make a role to try to resist being uh influenced by someone like that but Mm -hmm. you know it's a role it might not work um and you can also just like let it happen so, like, this is a system where your stats are constantly changing because of things that other characters are doing to you. Um, and it's not in your hands, right? It's not like you go into a session and are like, okay, I'm going to make sure to shift my savior up by two and my danger and my freak down by one each this session. It's like, no, that you might take actions that cause NPCs to respond in ways that might lead them to give you those prompts but it's never in your hands fully it's it's in the hands of like another pc or the gm 
who is responding to the fiction and having other characters exert this very like tangible influence over you yeah like to to kind of like jump a little bit ahead to my character right like my my character kind of like mechanically hat wants to have a like a high mundane and a high savior label now that's not necessarily going to happen but she has she has some abilities that allow her to change her own labels but they don't trigger very often and they kind of like require um they they require her to take specific actions in fights and you know she can't take those actions if situations don't call for them so i think there's like a really interesting kind of like give and take there of like trying to she also has a mechanic to swap certain labels so i think Mm -hmm. i think were i to play this character there would be i think some really interesting play in kind of like adapting to the current state of my character's labels and trying to find ways to kind of like fudge those numbers and move things around to get closer to what I want to do with the character, which is, I think, a very good mechanical representation of a teenager trying to, like, carve out her own identity in defiance of, like, how she is, like, told that she has to be or, you know, due to, like, emotional influence finds herself, like, seeing herself in this moment, which I think is, like, I think it's cool. I think it's a good part of this game. Yeah, it's super cool. It's super exciting. It's the sort of thing where it's like, you know, uh, astute listeners might recall from a couple episodes that I've mentioned that my own style of playing tabletop games is very much grounded in like, um, how do, how do I put this? Like, considering the character from a very like planned out stance and not necessarily being like, you know, super rigid about it, but having ideas of like the shape of a story ahead of me and uh, considering a lot of things before the actual moment where they come up. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, theoretically I should hate this because it's like, well, no, what'll happen to all my plans if, you know, the story goes in a different way as it turns out. Um, but I actually feel like this would be so cool to just kind of like, if, if you make that commitment going into the game and you know that it's that type of game, then it would just feel so exciting to be able to um, to explore all of that um, and have the game take you to unexpected places. Um, and it, again, as far as like how fun it feels, love it. As far as how well it captures the idea of being these like melodramatic teen superheroes, love it. Um, it's it's exactly the sort of like system that most PBTA games are too like kind of staid and and cowardly if I'm being harsh to yeah. to include and um, I'm really glad that it's in here and I wish that it was in something other than a PBTA but I still probably have a lot of fun playing the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it is like it's a. Uh... I think another thing that's interesting about the labels is like you have kind of like been getting at, I think it does prime the players to be in this mode of like, you know, these numbers are not, they're not, um, you know, they're not going to be this way forever. Things are going to change. How do I adapt to this? Which I think also puts you in a mindset to like also be willing to roll with the story and like interact with other players and 
you know, just, I, I think it puts you in kind of like an improvisational and collaborative mood, which is like what you need to be if you're going to play tabletop. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's a really cool system. Um, so actually, can I talk about the the one unique system for the playbook that I chose that feels uh, kind of like especially interesting to talk about here? Yeah, I, I say let's do it. Let's do it. Um, so the playbook that I chose is uh, called The Doomed. And this is kind of like, for using the Teen Titans analogs again, this is your raven. Um, and then a bunch of other characters that I've never heard of. Um, but it's it's about like having some kind of like horrible fate that awaits you and like you might be very powerful now, but you know, there's there's something hanging over you. You have like a nemesis, you have um, like specific things that advance a doom track. You have like abilities that are tied to that doom track. And then, you know, if it fills up entirely, um, then you just face your doom and you die. Um, and that feels awfully familiar for those who listened to our last episode on Heart, the City Beneath. Because uh, that was a game that is all about this idea of like, you are going to die. You're not making it out of here alive. You are going to be fucked up by all of this in a way that is not like avoidable just by being smart or prepared or clever or lucky. Mm-hmm. Um, and it feels really cool to to think about that same process two episodes in a row in two systems that have like very, very different tones. Mm-hmm. Um, because like, not only do they both kind of like uh, frame it in different emotional ways, but it's also like, uh, it's cool to see how the mechanics of this ultimately work. It's a much more forgiving track, let's put it that way. And as you get closer to filling up the track, you get bonuses instead of penalties. Heart, as we talked about, is all about like kind of stacking these, you know, God, are they called traumas? What are they called? Uh, fallouts. They're fallouts. Fallouts yeah. is what they're called, yeah. It's all about like stacking those up and getting like more and more fucked up until you just like, you know, ultimately die and uh, there's no coming back from it. Whereas here, it's like your powers become more kind of like uh, expansive and, and powerful and wild as you get closer to the doom. And then importantly, there is a advance that you can take and it's kind of an advanced advance, uh, which means that like you have to have already taken five advances uh, to get it. But it does outright let you just say, okay, you confront your doom on your own terms and it's possible to survive. If you do survive, you choose another playbook to continue your character as. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was on the official discord for this game, just talking about like, you know, how does that play out in practice? And the answer that I got is like, yeah, if you are playing the Doom, then you pretty much have to like intentionally hit the Doom button if you want to perish from it. Um, It's very difficult for it to sneak up on you. It's not the sort of like, you know, super unforgiving game where like you have to to manage your resources like super well in order to avoid the, the Doom counter. Um, which I think is perfect for like the type of game that this is to have this sort of like mechanical doom that's hanging over your head this whole time 
But then you can also just like pretty reliably trust in the fact that like you can bail out of it and become something else. Um, if if like you put in enough of an investment in it and your your loving teammates support you, um, it feels super right. I really like a lot of the ways in which like this this game kind of um, encapsulates like the the feeling of the fiction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the Doomed is like one of the like definitely one of the best playbooks here. Yeah, sorry for calling dibs on it right away. It's fine. I was, I was actually not looking at it. I wanted to be Spider Man. <laughs> yeah, there's there's one that's just Spider Man. We'll we'll get into that later. But slightly it is to, funny. Slightly to a fault, I think we could use a few more powers on the Spider Man playbook that are not just being Spider Man. Yeah, yeah. Because okay, so there's like, and these are kind of only used for kind of. Um, shading what you do narratively um they don't necessarily give you like strict mechanical benefits but they kind of determine like what roles are possible for you to to undertake um but like each playbook has a list of powers and it's like choose two to three from this list and those determine like you know what superpowers you can have Mm -hmm. um and would you like to read the ones for the janice playbook which is the spider-man that you've been speaking of here yeah so under this abilities tab for for the janus it says your appearance is unchanged by your abilities and you can keep your powers hidden you have heightened physical abilities open parentheses strength agility toughness close parentheses and she's like spider-man like spider-man which i always thought was kind of like the bitch powers that spider-man has like i don't need an explanation for why spider-man can get punched by like a very strong guy he's it's a superhero comic you don't need to yeah. tell me he's, like, supernaturally tough. Anyway, uh, as far as your two unique abilities, uh, your choices are, one, rodent or insect control, two... Like Spider-Man? <laughs> some versions of Spider-Man. <laughs> that would... There are versions of Spider-Man that have all of these. Yeah. Uh, your second option is bone generation, venom, or webs. Those are all in one for some reason. Um... Option three is energy absorption. Option four is supernatural senses. Operation. Wait. Okay, get to the end, and then I have some important questions. Oper- uh, option five is impossible mobility, and option six is substance mimicry. All right, a lot of Spider-Man vibes here. Here's my question: What is bone generation? So there's a villain in besides Naruto. like a, a 1980s Japanese punk band. There's a villain in Naruto, and I don't remember his name. I'm going to Google Naruto Bone Guy, and I will probably get him um, in one go. Hell yes, I did. He's just, like, a guy who can, like, make his bones pop out of his skin and, like, <laughs> use them as weapons. And he's very gross and nasty. And I imagine that's what the playbook means. Alright. Just uh, like... Go- Make sure, if you're listening to this, to Google Naruto Bone Guy and just take I mean, a good look at him. Don't Google Naruto Bone Guy if you feel like you may be queasy at the idea of, like, bones protruding from human skin, because that's all this guy is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you feel like you'd be fine looking at that, do Google Naruto Bone Guy, and you will, apparently... No, that's a One Piece character. Okay, you will just get several pictures of the bone guy from Naruto. And I'm okay. pretty sure this is what is meant by bone generation. 
Cool. Sometimes I feel like I'm from the bone generation. That's right. Um, but yeah, like it, as you can see from that list, like they did kind of go a little too hard on the idea that like, cause Spider-Man is, um, not the entirety of what that like playbook is thematically about. Mm-hmm. Spider-Man is like contained within it. Because yeah, it's about like you the know the playbook is very is is kind of like at its core about having a secret identity, but then yeah. like half of the character, half of the abilities that you can have are just Spider Man, and if you don't want to make Spider Man, your options are limited to some sure. like very specific and weird powers. So if you listen to my character's like power set and you think it sounds a little weird, it's because I was working with what I had, and what I had was Spider Man. Hmm. Anyway, we we are so close to just talking about characters. Do you do you have anything else to say about the system in general, or do you want to just go? Man, I don't think I do. I think we kind of like you know got everything. We shouted out the parts that we really like. Um, but yeah, it's uh, my my advice. To you got you, you got to be more more adventurous than Spider Man. That's my advice to the to people who wrote this. My advice to anyone trying to make a tabletop is just try something weird. Even if it doesn't yeah. work, it'll be interesting. Mm-hmm. I think we should aim for interesting rather than like competent in our art is the thing. For sure. Um, you can do a PBTA if you really want that kind of like uh, first step experience. But after that, just go ahead and do some like weird shit where like the all the roles take place using a tarot deck. No one's stopping you. I think I think one thing like another I I think really quickly like another influence of this in in the tabletop scene is because I think many tabletop games are also trying to emulate like the specific vibes and themes of other media. So I think once yeah. you combine once you combine a game that is doing that with a game that is also like taking its mechanical systems from another game I think there is potential, and Masks doesn't 100% feel like this, but there's a potential for it to just feel, like, derivative, you know? Yeah, 100%. Um, and there's, like, you know, it's it can be really fucking hard to, like, uh, come up with, like, mechanics that actually feel like a specific evocation of genre. Um, and, you know, as we've talked about before, that's a big part of why PPTA is so popular, because, like, it is just this very broad framework that lets you do a kind of boringly competent job at mimicking anything. Um, you're not going to really like get the to the heart of it unless you're like really thoughtful and careful about like creating unique systems, and even then, only sort of. Um, but you're not going to like completely fuck it up. It's not going to be like a nightmare to play. Um, but yeah, you know, it's. It's the sort of thing where, like, we have so many games at this point that aren't a nightmare to play. I would rather see people take, like, big swings, even if they fail, uh, rather than just kind of, like, creating more experiences that kind of just, like, coast on how it's fun in general to roleplay with your friends. Yeah. Anyway, do you want to talk about some girls? Fuck yeah, let's talk about some girls. Okay. Uh, I want to, I want to go first because I feel like I have the most normal girl. Yeah. The more normal uh, hit, girl. Hit me with your normal girl. So let me tell you about Mary Callahan. Quick question. Is she Irish American? Oh, unfortunately, yes. All right. 
I think maybe I could still learn to love her. <laughs> um, yeah, so let me let me just give you the basics, which um is that as I mentioned earlier, Mary is Janus, which is a playbook about being Spider-Man and also about having a secret identity. So you are a superhero who has kind of like a split between their superheroing and also their kind of like mundane and, and civilian life. And the book is very much about the playbook is very much about balancing those two. And the version of this that I've come up with for Mary is that she is the daughter of a district attorney um, who got superpowers doing very like precocious teen journalism stuff, investigating uh, shady tech companies um, you know, classic, like, get caught in an experiment, uh, gain super strength, agility, toughness, and also gain the ability to absorb energy and then, like, shoot it out of your body as venom. Like Spider-Man. <laughs> like Spider-Man. <laughs> you might think to yourself, wait, can Spider-Man do that? Uh, there is at least one Spider-Man who kind of can. Miles Morales can do that. There you go. Um... Yeah, and and so Mary, like, you know, gets these powers, is a, becomes a superhero, um, and also keeps her superhero identity secret, um, mostly, mostly basically just, like, out of, out of, like, teen shame, you know? Thinking that, yeah. like, you know, my dad is, <laughs> my dad is, like, kind of famous, he's a square, he's also, like, I'm becoming a teenager and getting a more, like, uh, sophisticated and complicated sense of, like, the person that my dad is and, like, how he kind of does harm in the world. Um, and I would like for once in my life not to be associated with them, uh, with him. Sure. So, so she has this kind of, like, different identity as the superhero Aurelia um, and does super crime stuff while trying not to let her teammates know that she's, like, actually, like, a rich girl. Yeah. I, I have a question about that, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, is there kind of, like, a fear of, like, real material consequence of it coming out? Like, is it the sort of thing where it's like, oh, if this happens, then it'll be putting people in danger, or it might, like, lead to me becoming, like, kind of pressure to, to like, be part of this commodified ecosystem where it's like, you know, oh, ho, oh, oh, ho, look at this. The teen superhero daughter of a person who brings justice in another way. Um, or is it more of just kind of like the social aspect of it that, that you were mentioning there? I think in keeping with kind of the mood of the game, I think it's very much kind of a teen thing where she has this idea that like the person who she grew up as is like not an interesting or like likable. It's not like an interesting or likable identity. And she'd much rather be, like, a cool masked superhero lady. And I think she has this belief that, like, if other people found out about her normal life, they would be like, oh, that's lame. You're boring. You're just, like, uh, uh, like, you're just, like, a rich girl who goes to a prep school. And that's not, like, cool. The way that absorbing energy and shooting venom out of your hands is cool. Hell yeah. Um, God, I I love how scared like rich kids are of the mildest of consequences. I I also think her class position is like not not super not super rich, but I definitely like rich enough that she feels it, and I think definitely in relationship to like the unseen other members of the team, you know. 
Like, mm-hmm. I, I called her, you know, I said she was Spider-Man. Spider-Man is often framed as, like, a like a working class guy from a working class background. And I, Mary's definitely not that. Like, Mary goes to a fancy private school. Um, For sure. But I think if her, you know, but I think she also comes from a single parent household. And, like, it's conceivable that, you know, her dad could lose her job and the family could fall on harder times. But it would not be, like, a disaster in the same way that, like, if Spider-Man lost his job, things are instantly a big deal. You know? Yeah. And I think she's mostly just like, she has that kind of like, upper middle, lower upper class, just like shame of like, oh, I can't let anybody know that my dad makes money. Ugh. Then they For won't sure. like me. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I promise famously, that I will still like her. Because famously, nobody likes the kid whose dad has a lot of money. um is is that something that she kind of like felt um prior to like being a superhero or is it all just kind of like her building up an idea of what must happen in her head like were there situations for example where like she did uh hang out with people from like less uh you know privileged and, and sheltered backgrounds and kind of was like you know made fun of them or rejected by them in some way when they they found out or is that something that's kind of like not to be like too dismissive of her because like i really like this character she's really sweet i think Um, it's okay to be a little dismissive of her but how much of this is like based on something real that's happening that like you know maybe she's interpreting in a certain way or like drawing the wrong lessons from and how much of it is just like her making up a guy in her head i think so I think I think probably most of it comes from her herself not really like jiving with these circles necessarily, you know? Like I think I think she goes to this private school, but she's not popular at the big fancy private school. Um mm-hmm. I think we'll see as we go into a little more details about her like the mechanical construction of her life. She's really only got like one or two good friends there. And so she's like a little bit a little bit outside of that circle has definitely gone to some like um social functions with her dad and felt like this is so fucking lame i hate this so much why is this guy talking like why do i have to talk to this guy who's a friend of my dad and he's like telling me so much about like his fucking scholarship program that i don't care about this guy's so fake you know yeah so i think partially i think She's probably not really experienced a kind of, like, rejection for her background, but I think she sort of rejects it herself and is projecting that onto the people around her, you know? She's like, I think the place that I come from is, like, fake and lame, and I actually know a little bit about how, like, it causes harm to people because I'm, like, on Tumblr. (laughs) I've read, like... For sure. Theory drills. She's... She's seen the word systemic a lot in she her had, day. She's learned the word systemic in her school, you know? Uh-huh. Like, she's probably had, like, a good liberal education and been like, damn, that's me. Like, <laughs> she's probably learned about the civil rights movement and been like, damn, I'm white, though. <laughs> so, that's not great. Um, and I think she, I think she largely does kind of, like, project that out onto other people. And... So when that. so when she does her superhero stuff, you know, I think a uh, I think a big part of like the appeal of being a superhero for her is getting to put on a mask and just like put that behind her and get to like try out this like 
new version of herself, which is, you know, like, very kind of, like, witty and sarcastic. And, like, you know, she gets to be, like, rude without anyone saying, like, what would your father think if he heard you talking like that? She gets to be like, fuck my dad. Yahoo, I'm shooting Venom. Mm-hmm. How many times am I going to say Venom before you do the Eminem voice? I have been working so hard to not do that. You know um, that picture of the kid with the huge veins in his forehead? <laughs> <laughs> yes, and that, but very pretty. Yeah. Um. Oh my god, though. Yeah. Uh, very quick question. Mm-hmm. Um, I've gotten the impression that you're someone who, like, doesn't really all that much like fuck with comic books or like comic book adaptations in general Mm -hmm. yeah yeah you'd be correct i think the most (laughs) the i had a period when i was like 14 or something where i was like okay i guess i'm gonna i would like to try to get into some comics and just found them like a little impenetrable like i'm very much the kid who like got into manga because you can just buy volume one of Naruto, and it'll be like, here's Naruto. Here's the shit Naruto does. And you can be like, okay, I'm I'm absorbing a narrative. Yeah. Like, you will never, you will never, like, get the latest volume of Naruto and open it up and find Grant Morrison being like, okay, okay, so you've read all these Batman trades from the 80s, right? And you'll be like, no, I'm 14. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um... Yeah, I, I, I've never really fucked with comic books myself. Um, I think there's like a couple of the film adaptations that I enjoy. Um, I like the the Zack Snyder ones. Um, I like the Venom movies. They're very stupid in ways that are very charming to me. Venom. Uh, Venom. Uh, but I do remember Olivia. Wait, can you just like put a little bit of the Venom song kind of like under this or as an insert or just something like that. Yeah, don't worry. I'm I'm Googling like Venom high quality YouTube rip. Like right, something like that. Thank you so that. much. Uh, but yeah, like I, I remember when I did kind of like enjoy uh, the first two Zack Snyder Superman movies, I was just like, oh, I should probably like go back and read a bunch of these like Superman comics, the ones that like people recommend the most. Um, and I really didn't fuck with them for the most part. Um, it, it, it's just not my scene. It's just not something that I'm like particularly interested in. Um, but I think that there are like fun ideas in there that can be expressed in fun ways. So, uh, I promise I'm not like coming at this from a perspective of like, you know, uh, extremely bitch ass nerd voice deconstructing superheroes um by like you know thinking that i'm i'm better than the genre or anything i'm the way that i come at it to be clear is like i will probably never get into comics but i see the appeal you know like i see what people like about comics um yeah for sure and i think if comics were different i would like comics more but i think comics are are structurally determined to break my heart so yeah very understandable. Um, what else do you want to tell me about Mary slash Aurelia? Um, I think simply by herself, I've covered everything. So, like, I have some mechanical stuff to talk about. I have some, like, interaction and relationship stuff to talk about. But I think Mary as, like, an individual, I think we have covered everything. She also looks like uh, a ruder, older version of Marcy from the Peanuts. This, oh yeah. This is where I'm pulling the Marcy Peanuts card. 
All right, we got Marcy Peanuts. Um, okay, cool. So let me talk about my character kind of up to the whole like Doom slash Nemesis part. Because um, I feel like that kind of gets into like broader stuff that I would be very interested in, like, you know, hearing about Mary's reactions to and, and the way that those all interact. But mm-hmm. we can save that for a little while. Uh, let's just talk about Riley Qua Riley. All right, so obviously her name is Riley. Mm-hmm. Um, but she kind of has a bit of a complicated way of getting there. In 1989, you see, a team of American scientists that would come to be known as the Parhelion Project detected a mysterious encrypted signal that seemed to have been broadcast from 700 years in the future took them four years to decode it, at which point they realized it was a set of instructions to create something, or rather, someone. A person, effectively human, but lab-grown, whose superheroic powers could rival those of Earth's greatest defenders if properly nurtured and understood. The process of following those instructions took another decade, and in 2003, the Barhelion Project finally bore its long-awaited fruits. The birth of a single metahuman girl... That's my character. Um, she's nice. So where do we go from there? She's, okay, first off, yes, she's super nice. She's a sweetheart. She has a big heart. She's full of love. And there's nothing evil about her. Um, and yeah, like, she, she did kind of, like, grow up in a lab, so to speak, right? But I kind of wanted to deliberately not make this, like, a hellish situation like i think that you know this type of like captivity is um it sucks like no matter how humane the people involved try to make it but i think that it's like if anything more directly comparable to like someone who is identified really young as being like you know uh a genius in in some kind of like you know mathematic like a mathematical prodigy or like a sports prodigy or something like that who has a life that's like very heavily defined by like okay we need to tap into this potential and and nurture it from the get-go so we're gonna make you like you know the greatest of all time in you know basketball or you know uh some type some advanced type of mathematics or something like that um so you know there there were a lot of like tests and a lot of like attempts to study her powers and train her from like a very early age, but you know the 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 scientists were never like particularly cruel about it. Um, and you know if she like kind of came in on a morning and was like, "Hey, I'm I'm really not feeling up to it today," they would always like let her take a rest day. And you know it, in in their own awkward way, they tried to kind of like raise her as a daughter more than like a test subject. Um. But, you know, it, for example, took them a while to give her, like, a human name properly. Uh, at age eight, they started calling her Riley Rowlands, um, which uh, there's no such thing as the Rowlands family. You know, there's there's no, like, secret identity behind that to protect, so to speak. Um, and I started, like, letting her have contact with other children at first in, like, really highly supervised ways, but on a longer and longer leash over time. At this point, like, she has a pretty, like, long leash, um, and they kind of, like, trust her to, to, like, uh, plot her own course in life so long as she continues to, like, play ball with, um, giving them the test results they need, 
doing a type of super heroics that they think are like important to realizing the potential of this whole project, etc. And the way that she's gone with that is that she's kind of like become a public figure, not just in her super heroic identity, but like in her civilian identity. So there's like a Twitter account that's like, you know, at Parhelion official that just, you know, is run by like a social media manager and tweets like official stuff about like, you know, I'm going to be at this place today to, you know, take part in this charity event or whatever, just like standard corporate shit. Um, but then there's also the account uh, at Future Girl Riley, um, which is her personal account, which she uses for like relatable celebrity shit posting. Um, I don't, I don't know, like if this genre of account is like something that you're familiar with, um, but it's it's kind of like this this dorky shit where like you know I have a question. Uh, Yes, tell me. So, you know Kevin Durant's Twitter? Yes. How similar is the Future Girl Riley account to, like, the Kevin Durant classics? She's not nearly as good at what she does as Kevin Durant (laughs) is. And I think that, like, she's a little more, like, kind of self-conscious about it as opposed to, like, the purity and honesty of KD. Like, he is a man who could never stop posting. Yeah. Not because, like, he's actually getting any clout from it. Like, he's probably, like, losing respect and clout <laughs> in the eyes of many for being as, like, online-brained as he is. But he just has a poster's heart through and through. Yeah. Um, I don't think that Riley is, like, doing any of this in, like, a cynical way. But I do think that it comes from, like, a slightly less pure place. Um, a an, an example that I had was... Uh, let me find it... Um, is that the one about yeah. the baby? It's the one about the baby. Yeah, <laughs> where at like three a.m. she posts something like, um, "Yo, I would never do this because I promise I'm really nice, but I can't stop um, laughing <laughs> about the idea of uh, saving a baby while doing some superhero stuff and then handing it off to the wrong mom and flying away." Um, and that's like. You know, it's it's certainly not a um, a super confrontational or transgressive joke, but it is a sort of thing that like probably would get her yelled at, like when people start to see it in the morning, <laughs> who aren't just like her existing like dedicated fan base. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody definitely tells her that like uh, somebody probably like takes her to the side and explains to her like the potentiality of that tweet to be used as evidence in a lawsuit. <laughs> it's like, yeah do not even tweet about doing like uh, uh like legally actionable things yeah do, do you know the um uh the like kind of twitter comedian jabuki mm-hmm. yeah it's it's kind of like that a little bit or it's like you know oh my god she went there and she's just deleting all her tweets because she's too ruthless and yeah, there's probably people, like, under her tweets being like, OMG, please don't delete this. Mm-hmm. But, like, most of them stay not deleted because they're, like, perfectly anodyne statements, you know? And it's like... There's no Future Girls deleted tweets account. Yeah, they're, they're like, slightly confrontational or, or, like, you know, silly jokes that, like, yeah, maybe someone could, like, willfully misinterpret. But, like, yeah, she's fundamentally a teenager. Right. Um, Riley she's causing problems by like looking at the mayor's press conference and tweeting just like his suit looks so dumb. Yeah. 
just just like yeah making like shit post videos like while she's obviously at some public event <laughs> and just like you know being like lightly scolded by the parhelion project and be like can you please just like use your your at parhelion official account literally while you're at the event <laughs> were you were you effectively utilize, living up to the potential of your powers by using your telekinesis to steal people's glasses of water right before they drank in them? <laughs> <laughs> and and of course, like the way that she would like react to that is by like making an apology post on Future Girl Riley, being like, "I I will strive to learn and to become a better exemplar of the Live Moss mindset." <laughs> I am sorry. I, I, I would like to personally apologize for moving District Attorney Callahan's water glass two inches away from his hand every time he went to grab it. In my defense, it was really funny. <laughs> but I have learned now that actually it was really bad of me to do, and I'm sorry to Mr. Callahan. He didn't deserve it. Next time I will move it two inches closer to your hand so you can drink it. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely the vibe. Um, Yeah, like... I, I want to be clear that, like, she's not, like, outrageously funny because, like, A, it's always a, a sucker's game to try to write a character who's funnier than you are. Um, and also, like, she's a, a very sheltered kid. Um, I think she has, like, a, a good natural sense of humor, but, like, she's she's not, like, you know, a, a, a one once-in-a-generation talent at making stupid Twitter jokes. Mm-hmm. No Kevin um, Durant is she? No, no, she's she's not KD. No one is KD. Um, but yeah, like I, I think of her as somebody who is like, especially because she kind of has like this this freedom in her public life, or she doesn't have like a secret identity to protect. It's known that like you know, Riley Rollins and Parhelion are the same person, and if there's no like you know family to protect or anything. Um, she's really kind of, like, blossomed into somebody who's, like, very confident and outgoing. Um, she does, like, a lot of, uh, in her downtime, like, uh, modeling for streetwear brands. Um, I mentioned in my write-ups the idea that there is a Future Girl by Vetement collection that is set to launch in fall 2021. Um, and I... I like this idea of her as somebody who is kind of like in the public eye and is probably like fucking up a little bit about it. But this isn't like, you know, a cautionary tale about child stars. This isn't like, you know, it's like, oh, she's being exploited by like sinister forces. She's just like somebody who like, you know, got famous and has a type of personality that gets her a lot of like, you know, fans, um, but is also kind of like a bit of a dummy. Mm hmm. Um, she also has, as it turns out, uh, an extremely obvious crush on her teammate Aurelia. <gasps> dun, dun, uh-huh. dun. Yeah, she really thinks she's being subtle about it. Um, and, and that she's not like, you know, letting on to anyone, but like probably the whole rest of the team has figured out within like a couple weeks of them being together. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I'm sure they have their own, like, reactions to it, uh, that can range from, like, being annoyed to thinking it's cute to being like, oh my god, just shut the fuck up and tell her already. Uh, Um, we, we should talk about where the future girl name comes from. 
Yes. Um, so it comes from the fact that, like, how would you say Aurelia's, like, attitude, uh, or, like, you know, visible attitude in terms of, like, how she talks to her and how she acts towards her is towards Parhelion? I, so, like, the way that I envision this is that, like, Mary isn't exactly no-nonsense, but I think she's a little no-nonsense in the same way that Riley is, like, a little nonsense. So mm-hmm. there's definitely, in my head, there's definitely a repeated interaction in which, like, Riley will try to lighten the mood or, like, make a joke or do something a little goofy. And then Mary will roll her eyes and be like, okay, future girl, let's stay on task. Like, kind of lightly <laughs> ribbing her. Um, and it's like, the, the the nickname future girl is, like, supposed to, it's like supposed it's like supposed to cut her down a bit, but Riley actually really likes yeah. it to the point of making it her Twitter ad. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like space cadet a little bit mm-hmm. um, where it's like, you know, it's, it's a little like, uh, it's, it's kind of like a playful, but like cutting down to size way of like gesturing at her whole deal. Mm-hmm. Um, but like Riley definitely feels like, you know, she, she's, blushing on the inside if not on the outside every time this happens and you know it's it's one can imagine this cycle right or it's like um well if i try to uh impress her or act cool around her or make her laugh then she's almost certainly going to like make fun of me because i'm not nearly smooth enough to pull any of that off but guess what I really like it when she makes fun of me. So it's a win-win situation. <laughs> She's like, I like being paid attention to. Yeah, yeah. If you're paying attention to me, if like, if if I get like bapped on my nose with a rolled up newspaper by you every day, then like that sounds like a perfect life. Uh, teenagers. Yeah. Um, and you know, like I, I think that she's... Um, definitely not like brave enough to to kind of like openly say any of this um even though like i said it's like probably really obvious to everyone around her um but like you know i i i think that she she kind of does feel like she occupies this like somewhat weird position um i think the way that like you know mary is somebody who's like very self-conscious about having grown up in this privileged position i think that riley is also very self-conscious about like having grown up as this lab experiment and also not really minding that you know mm-hmm. um it's it would be one thing if she had this type of like backstory where she was like you know oh i i was i was given so much like you know trauma by these like dangerous experiments that really fucked me up and it's like Obviously, she's really grateful that she doesn't have that in a sense. But I think that she kind of feels like, oh, that seems to be how it always goes in, like, the stories that, you know, like, I read or watch and whatnot. And it's like, should I be feeling like that? Probably. But I kind of don't. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I I, think that she feels a little, like, kind of disconnected um, from this kind of, you know, public-facing, like, human version of herself. Um, she doesn't even necessarily think of herself as Riley, because like like I said, she got that name when she was eight years old. Um, before then, she'd just been referred to as the Parhelion Project, and she really doesn't mind being called that. Um, but there is a part of her that really wishes that she could feel like she was Riley too. 
And she's like not 100% sure what that means, but she feels like Riley would probably be brave enough to tell Mary how she really feels. To hold Mary's hand, for example, to kiss her, to whisper sappy declarations of love into her ear until Mary got fucking sick of them. That would be the life that would really make her like as happy as she could possibly be. To be clear, you probably shouldn't hold Mary's hand because she does secrete venom from it. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> just, just, it's like a little gross. It's not always gross, but sometimes it's just like, uh Bitch, wear some cool superhero gloves. <laughs> you know, well, she does when she's a superhero, but sometimes in her teen life, you know you're a teen and your body's fucked up, so sometimes you're just like, ah, oh, damn it. <laughs> Okay, so this it's that type of teen coming-of-age story. The one where it's like, here's this meaningful fluid that is being secreted. It's, it's probably more likely that just, like, there's probably, like, just a few scenes in, you know, if this is, like, a cartoon, where, like, occasionally Mary will touch an electrical object with her bare hands, and it'll just, like, spark. And she'll be like, whoa, that's weird. Wonder, wonder why that happened. Ah, <laughs> uh, gross. <laughs> Uh, anyway, yeah, Mary totally knows about the crush, just for the record. Just, like, totally yeah. totally aware of it. But again, like, when you feel like you have to, like, hide facts about your basic life from other people in order to, like, keep their, like, esteem of you, you know, it is hard to confront the idea that, like, maybe one of those people you know would like to go on a date with you. Because you're like, um, I'm unlikable? Don't you know this about me? <laughs> like... Yeah, and I I, I want to, like, kind of ask you about, like, because we talked about this a little bit before the, the episode, but I, I want to hear more, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, what does Mary feel like about the crush? Um, you know, we've kind of, like, set up a situation where, um, you know, Riley is kind of, like, too cowardly to, to say it outright, and um, Mary definitely knows that it's there, but she's not, like, making a move herself Mm -hmm. and you know kind of like what goes into that does she also have feelings for riley does she not does she you know for what if she does have any kind of like feelings in return for what reason is she not like making a move Mm -hmm. what's going on i think it's like a three-pronged thing right all right because prong number one mary's really normal so we got to come at this emotional situation from three different angles of attack number one (laughs) she like Kinda, she, number one is, like, she, I think she does have feelings for Riley, but she doesn't, like, recognize them as feelings in that way, you know? Um, because, like, feelings are kind of, like, tricky, and I think part of being a teen is being, like, is is kind of like watching TV and expecting to have feelings like TV characters, and realizing that you don't, and being, like... Huh, that's weird. Okay, what do I make of my own feelings? So, like, I don't think she's, like, I think she, I think she likes Riley. And, yeah. you know, like, they're, yes. <laughs> I think she, <laughs> Riley wins! Riley wins! <laughs> yeah, I think when she, like, makes fun of Riley or gives her a bit of grief, I think it is, like, affectionate grief, you know? Um, mm-hmm. Uh, and, like, they, I think they work together well as superheroes, and I think she, like, you know, I think she does daydream about the version of her life where she tells Riley what's up, and Riley doesn't care, and then, um, 
conspicuous blank space as to what would happen after that, because she has not considered this. Mary has never been on a date in her life, um, and would not know what to do if actually asked out on one. Uh, but I think she does find that idea of, like, you know, I think it's something that she wants and, like, finds appealing, but is kind of, like, not sure how it would look for her own life and is worried about, like, that going wrong and thus, like, can't pursue it, you know? Yeah, 100%. I think she's she just has the personality type where, like, the world would have to be ending before she, like, talked to her crush. And... God. So maybe good news about the whole being doomed <laughs> thing. Yeah. <laughs> the upside of being doomed, if a girl rejects you, but she's gonna die in like a year or two, is it really that bad? The doomed playbook is doing a lot of work for this relationship. <laughs> whereas the whereas the Janus playbook is doing like anti-work. God, really fuck the Janus playbook. Uh, do, um, should we talk more mechanically about the playbooks? Yeah, absolutely. Because I think kind of like it goes from from where I have right now to the spoilers about, you know, like all the doom shit. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, let's hear your mechanics. Yeah. So like I said, um, Mary's like has like the, the basic like Spider-Man don't die if you get punched by a big guy package. Don't die if like a, a brick falls on you from a construction site. Yeah. But also has the ability to like absorb energy and then convert it into this like venom which i think is not always gross it's not always like a literal like weird electrical liquid but you know she can zap you all right (laughs) um her labels and as we said these would like be constantly changing in play but as they are now uh, Mary's labels are Danger Zero, Freak Minus One, Savior Zero, Superior Plus Plus Two, and Mundane Plus Three. Um, okay. The kind of like unique she the kind of like unique ability of the Janus playbook is called the mask, um, which it uh, basically reads: um, You wear a mask. Hold on, that's just the name of the book. <laughs> you wear a mask and hide your real identity. You try to embody the savior label while wearing the mask. Once per session, you can affirm either your heroic or secret identity to switch your mundane and savior. When you reveal your secret identity to someone, mark potential. So, like, while Mary has a a, a really high, uh, like, score in either mundane or savior, she can, like, do a, do a narrative thing once per session and then, like, flip that label, which I think is very cool. Yeah, it does really sound cool. Uh, in terms of... Her, and mundane is basically like... It's like the label for... um, You know, it's it's the label for like mundanity. It's also the one for kind of like emotional connection to people. Um, which I think is, yeah. is funny being that Mary is like a little... Like, she's kind of like bad at her own emotional connection. But I, I think if she sees someone who is like in a... You know not doing well. I think she will, you know, she'll go over and she'll be kind of sheepish about it, but she'll be like, hey, buddy, man. Oh, like, for example, if her her uh, loyal teammate Parhelion had just found out about some kind of doom. Yeah, I think. And her, needed consoling about it. Yeah, I think her instinct would be to, like, go over there and do something about it. Um, she has a caring instinct. Um, in terms of... Uh, 
Hmm? Girls love a caring instinct. Girls do love a caring instinct. So, um, the other kind of, like, mechanical construct is Mary's secret identity, which, as we've said, is, you know, Mary Callahan, daughter of esteemed city prosecutor Brian Callahan. Um, and your identity is made up of three obligations, which are kind of like, which are like things that you have to do in your mundane life and you have to keep on top of. So Mary's three obligations are her obligation to schoolwork, which is that she's at a prestigious prep school that requires a lot of homework and studying. Um, she has an obligation to caring for a family member, which is her little sister, Ruth, who has kind of like looked up to Mary as like a big sister and kind of like sort of mom figure ever since their mom passed away when like. Mary was a young child and Ruth was like a literal baby. Can I tell you something very stupid? All right. I just had a, a, a brain fart moment of being like, oh, wow, a real big sister. Because we've talked about it uh, throughout this podcast as like a narrative archetype that both of us are interested in. <laughs> but we mean it as like, you know, older or, or older coded girl who is like, you know, kind of cool and responsible and and helpful in, in this way. Um, and so the idea of, like, a literal big sister just blew my mind a little bit because <laughs> I'm very stupid. Um, and then Mary's final obligation is her obligation to her best friend James, who still thinks that they both share the dream of following their dads into law. Uh-oh. Yeah, uh-oh. James, you're gonna get fucked up. Uh-oh. Um, so basically, the way that your secret identity works is uh, when time passes, you have to roll plus mundane to see how you're handling your obligations. Um, if you get a hit, uh, things are going pretty well, and you have an opportunity or advantage thanks to one of your obligations. Um, on a 7 to 9, you've lapsed on one choice, on like your choice of one of your obligations and have to kind of like take care of that narratively. And on a miss, you've been just extremely messing everything up, and the GM gets to pick two of your obligations that are going to, like, bite you in the butt. Hell yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and then her kind of, like, normal moves, um, she has a move called Game Face, which uh, when basically says, like, when she commits to either saving someone or defeating an enemy, um, she marks a condition, which are kind of like this game's version of, like, taking hurt. Um, it's basically like taking a minus two penalty to one of the basic moves. Um, but then ex- yeah. in exchange for doing that, Mary gets plus one ongoing to all roles that are in direct pursuit of that goal. But she also has to mark a additional condition at the end of any scene where she doesn't make progress towards her goal. And then when she fulfills her goals, she loses those, um, she loses that bonus, but she also marks, uh, XP basically. So it allows her to just kind of like, Pick a goal, pick a condition that is least related to her goal, and then just go for it, you know? Hell yeah. She also has the move uh, Mild Mannered, which uh, lets her try to use her civilian identity to... But is she really Mild Mannered, though? Well, it's using her civilian identity to deceive, trick, or slip past someone, where she rolls mundane, and on a hit they buy her facade... And on the seven or nine, she gets to choose uh, one of the following list. Number one, your still observation. Number two, you leave something incriminating behind. Number three, you're forced to make a fool of yourself to sell it. And then on a miss, Uh-oh. one of your civilian... I, I love the make a fool of yourself I one. That's that just good tabletop writing. Because Mary would hate that. <laughs> Mary would, like, hate that so much. 
Yeah, Riley would slam that button all the time, but of course, Riley doesn't have that move. Uh, and then on a miss, uh, one of your civilian obligations is going to rear its head at you. So this is the move for when Mary's like, "Hi, I'm Mary Callahan. I'm I'm the prosecutor's daughter. I'm on a I'm on a school trip. Yeah, I uh, just want to get in here and poke around, ask some questions as a very normal young girl." Yeah, just I'm I'm, I'm your average workaday nosy bitch. <laughs> uh, Mary is also in the school newspaper, by the way, which is like definitely um she definitely like does some like new like high school news reporter shit. All right, so we have a hundred percent hit rate for our teen episodes <laughs> on of having a player friend. character who's on the the school newspaper. It's a good archetype, Hannah. Yeah. Um, uh, does Mary go around just, like, shoulder-checking people in the hallway? She does not do that, no. She is not Batista-bombing students uh, in order to, like, set up her powers. No, she does not do that. Her powers would probably, like, tase someone if she, like, checked them in the wrong way. So she tries not to do that. Alright, understandable. Like, unfortunate, but, you know, you gotta make it work for the fiction. Mm-hmm. She also has a move which she took from another playbook called I Know What I Am, which says uh, once per scene when you defend a teammate, you can shift Savior up and another label down in addition to any other benefits from the move, even on a miss. Then if you do, you need to add one team to the pool, which is like the working together resource. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, this is my move for like correcting labels going wrong. Yeah, those types of abilities are pretty rare. Um, and I think that they're they're kind of like doled out in interesting ways, like you said, where it's like, they will be conditional, they will be based on like, can you make a certain thing happen? Mm-hmm. And like, you probably aren't going to be able to make that happen like constantly. What I like, so I really like it. What, yeah, what I like about this one is like, it can combine with the mask to like, she can improve her savior and then like use the mask to then like make it improve her mundane as well. So I like that kind of, like, flip-flop that you can do. Um, yeah. Which is fun. Uh, it's always cool to fuck around with your labels. Yeah, and then her final move is really embarrassingly named Straight Up Creepin'. Oh, buddy, why are you doing that? It's it's a, it's the name of a move from a different playbook. I don't have any responsibility for this. Um, yeah, what's your what's your explanation for Straight Up Creepin'? It says, when you scope out a person or place, roll mundane. On a 10 plus, ask 2, and on a 7 to 9, ask 1. And then the questions you can ask are, number 1, what's my best way in or out? Number 2, what happened here recently? Number 3, what here is worth grabbing? Number 4, who or what here is not what they seem? And number 5, whose place is this? And on a miss, you find yourself in over your head. The GM will tell you why this is a bad spot. So it's just more high school reporter shit. That she can do. Yeah. If she has good mundane at that moment. What here is worth grabbing is a classic question. I love that. I love, <laughs> I love the idea of like walking in and being like, okay, what's going on here? Yeah. What can I steal? What can I steal? This is, uh, I think uh, this comes from the Beacon playbook, which I think it says like, I think it says at some point in the write-up for the Beacon, like, hey, you don't have superpowers, so if you see something that lets you do something cool, you should steal it. It's probably a bad oh, yeah. guy's, like, super gadget anyway, so don't be afraid to, like, really just start stealing things. Yeah, you can just take shit. No one can yell at you for it. <laughs> What's a supervillain gonna do? Sue you? 
Call the cops? Yeah. If someone's a supervillain, that's an easy target to rob. God. (laughs) (laughs) Just imagining a guy with a list that's like list of supervillains to rob. Uh, uh, that guy's cool. Anyway, those those are those are Mary's mechanics. Alright. Uh cool. Let's talk about my mechanics. Uh so as I mentioned, Riley has the Doomed playbook. And like I also mentioned, the Doom playbook has no moves of its own. It just has like a couple unique subsystems of its own. Mm-hmm. Uh the first one of those is the uh, it's just called Doom. Doom. It says here you're doomed, your powers might be killing you, or you might be hunted ruthlessly, or maybe you embody an apocalypse. But one way or another, your future is grim. Uh, what brings your doom closer? Choose two. The options here are things like overexerting yourself, injuring innocence, facing danger alone, frightening loved ones, showing mercy, and talking about it openly. So some of these are probably like diegetic, some of these less so. Uh, but the two that I chose are overexerting yourself and frightening loved ones. Because um, this is something that, like, okay, uh, I, I can talk about, like, the powers as well that I have. Um, I think that kind of, like, the instinct when you're doing the doomed character is to make someone who's very kind of, like, gothy, who's, you know, dark, who who has, like, this aesthetic that, like, really keys you in on the doom. Um, that is not Riley. Riley has a very sort of like, I think that, you know, her literal like physical aesthetic, like her suit involves like blacks and golds. Um, and there's like maybe something vaguely sort of gothy about it, but like, it's much more like you look at this person and you're like, oh, this is like a very sort of chipper streetwear influencer who like, thinks that a vaguely gothy aesthetic is cool and not somebody who like actually like, you know, embodies that lifestyle or mindset in any real way. Um, goth prep cusp. Exactly. She's, yeah, yeah. She's, she's goth prep cusp. 100%. Um, and let's see. So where does that actually leave her powers? She has, um, you know, kind of like the standard Superman suite. She has like super strength, super speed, super durability. Um, she can fly. And then kind of like her her big thing is that she can uh, create and manipulate constructs made of hard light. Um, and she does this by kind of like absorbing and channeling radiation that comes from the sun. Mm-hmm. Um so as far as like, you know, her her doom triggers, I think that I chose overexerting yourself for like reasons that you'll see a little later. Um, but that, that always just feels like a classic one of like, if you use your powers too much, then it, it draws uh, the, the, the bad fate closer. Um, and then frightening loved ones I like because, you know, I, th- I think that there is a real sense in which like you look at her and you look at her power set and you look at her attitude and it is kind of like, you know, a very friendly, like, you know, uh, teen fashion girl Superman type of situation. Um, and it's it's not like, you know, she's like dark Superman in the sense of like Injustice or like the boys or, you know, any of, any of that horse shit. But like, I think that there is a real way in which like, in ways that she's not really aware of and, and 
that she can't necessarily like fully control um what's going on with her powers is a lot kind of like scarier than she kind of like immediately understands and realizes um but yeah so uh she also has a nemesis who is uh somebody who like embodies her doom and is coming for her and can't be really defeated in a like long-term way um but that i'm gonna kind of like leave for discussion uh for a little later um because that kind of like gets into the territory of like what's her doom all about um and then wait where the fuck is the nemesis on this actual playbook it's on the bottom of the first page the bottom of the first page jesus yeah it's before everything that's a weird place to put it um, but yeah, it's it's another thing kind of like you had with your, um, gosh, I forget what it was called, but it was your ability that, that kind of like lets you um, give yourself bonus. Yeah, game face. Um, Nemesis kind of works mechanically like that, where it's like at the end of every session, answer the question, did you make progress on defeating your nemesis? The answer is yes. Mark potential, which is, you know something that will eventually contribute to advances is kind of like XP. Uh, If no, mark your doom track. And the way that the doom track works is that whenever you hit one of those two triggers, you fill up the doom track. When it fills up entirely, you clear it and take one of your doom signs. Your doom signs are those things that I mentioned earlier where they're like abilities that key off of your doom um and specifically like you get more powerful and versatile and and capable of doing a lot of cool shit as you get closer to your doom uh but it also obviously brings your doom closer um you start with one doom sign the one that i have here is called bolstered and it says that i can mark my doom track to use any adult move adult moves are something we didn't talk about but basically like because it's a PBTA, like, all of the moves that you can do, like, the basic moves are kind of, like, you know, you won't solve a situation instantly. You can't, like, lay someone out with one attack. Um, you probably could do that to, like, standard people, but you just wouldn't roll for that. But, like, you can't take down a super villain with one attack. Um, adult moves let you do that, pretty much. They let you kind of just, like, if you've met a certain circumstance or a condition, just say no fuck you i win um and riley can just do that literally whenever she wants uh at the cost of advancing her doom track so i feel like she's on a raw power level like probably a lot more powerful than aurelia slash mary uh but it is the sort of thing that like you know comes with a a very steep cost that you know would be revealed at the start of the campaign and that ties into her doom um, but I like that idea. I like it a lot of like being able to just be the strongest person in the room in a way that's going to really like have consequences for you long term. I like what I like about all the doom signs is that like they are a bonus, like they're good for you, but they also make your doom go faster because they all cost like a point on your doom track to to like yep. work. Yeah, um, and it, it it kind of like means that you accelerate towards your doom as you go on. Because, like, at first, well, I only have bolstered. That means that I can only intentionally accelerate my doom track in this specific circumstance. Mm -hmm. 
But if I have like three of these abilities, then I have so many temptations to accelerate my doom track. Um, so it's really cool. I like it. And the last thing that we have that's unique to this playbook is called a sanctuary. It's a place where you can rest, recover, reflect upon your powers, choose and underline three features of your sanctuary. Um, I chose as my sanctuary itself, personal quarters in a hidden Parhelion project library. The features here are a a power battery, a meditation space, and art, music, and food. I chose that last one especially to kind of like, you know, again, give the impression that she wasn't like kind of raised in a prison, right? It wasn't like this, this harrowing thing, except the way that like, you know, the way that we treat like, you know, valuable children in general is, is harrowing. Um, but yeah, like it's, I think she has like a a very nice space that she can withdraw to. Um, and then it has two drawbacks and the two that I've chosen are draws dangerous attention and tied intricately to your doom. Last piece here, I've got my moves that I've chosen from other playbooks. Both of these come from the outsider playbook, which again, we talked about how the outsider playbook kind of sucks. There are a few interesting moves here. I took them, but I could not imagine playing it as like, the core of what was going on. The ones that I have here are the best of them. I took this one actually because like you kind of mentioned uh, before we were on the air, like uh, Mary's seeing Riley in in part as being like the heart of the team. Cause like, I think that she does, for example, like really do a lot to try to like, you know, create team cohesion and she'll like invite everyone out to like, you know, social events. Mary doesn't come along necessarily, but Riley does really want to, like, think of the team as, like, a group of friends as well. Um, But that involves the mundane stat, which, uh, or a mundane label, which, oh, I didn't actually get to my labels. Those are plus two danger, plus two freak, plus one savior, minus one superior, plus zero mundane. Not a whole lot of mundane, which is the thing that's usually used for, like, comforting people and relating to them. But this one says... If I comfort or support someone by telling them how they exemplify the best parts of Earth, roll plus freak instead of plus mundane. And obviously that works a little differently for Riley because she's not like, you know, she grew up on Earth, right? Mm-hmm. Um, she's she's like, not like, you know. St- she's like telling someone why they exemplify the best parts of like being normal. Yeah. Being normal why, why they exemplify. Yeah, because like she's. You know, again, even though, like, she did grow up on Earth, she grew up in a very sort of, like, obviously weird superhero way. Um, And being able to, like, relate to people through this mode of, like, you know, uh, you, you are, like, what makes this place really cool and what I kind of wanted to, like, emulate and be a part of as I, you know, was let more and more out of the Parhelion Project. Mm-hmm. Um. I think it's something that would be like really fun to do with her. The last one is called Alien Tech. Again, changing the flavor of this a little bit. It says, when you alter a human device with your own alien technology, roll plus freak. On a hit, you create a device that can do something impossible once and then fizzle. When you roll a 10 plus, choose one. It works exceptionally well. You get an additional use out of it. On a miss, the device works, but it has a completely unintended side effect that the GM will reveal when you use it. Um, and this to me is her kind of like turning an object into, uh, it's no longer made of what it was made of and it is now made of hard light. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, it probably can do some real cool shit. And then, you know, 
become completely erratic and unstable because it's a, a construct made of light. Mm-hmm. Sorry, someone's playing Spanish music right outside my window. <laughs> Uh, we love it except when it interferes with the podcast recordings. Yeah. Should we just yeah. keep going? I I wouldn't mind it necessarily. Yeah. Um, sorry. We have some back. Yeah, we have some background music for the podcast. Yeah, sorry if it shows up really well. I'm I'm gonna try to like noise cancel it out. Um. Oh wait, there it goes. All right. Maybe. No, I think it's back. Maybe. <laughs> I think the song was just getting quieter. Anyway, it's okay. we've recorded this for like an hour and 40 minutes already, so let's let's just get to the end. Let's fucking Tell go. Tell me about some Doom, uh, please. I've been waiting on this for like a month. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. Uh, so you know how Riley is kind of sort of from the future, right? Yeah. Okay, well... The circumstances in which that's true um, are a little different, maybe, than what you might have been assuming. Because, mm-hmm. uh, like, you did raise your theories to me about, you know, what this all could be. Um, and I'm happy to say that they weren't correct. Um, I don't even remember yeah. what I said. <laughs> Let's talk about the Alvathi Empire. Okay. In about 700 years, an interstellar empire called the Auvathi, who are composed of timeless beings made of light, will discover our sun. They're star harvesters, gradually converting suitable stars into fuel for their eternal empire. They will judge the sun as currently unsuitable for harvesting and take steps to change that. They'll send instructions back in time to the resident of a nearby planet. That's Earth. (gasps) at around the height of that planet's power. Those instructions will tell them how to build an Alvathi infiltration probe. And in the Alvathi's experience, residents of nearby planets tend to regard these probes as great heroes and leaders, sometimes even as gods. Um, Those people will encourage and even beg the probes to use their stellar manipulation powers, which is great news for the Alvathi. Because you see, every time the probe uses its powers, it slowly primes the nearby star for harvesting. And that, as it turns out, is what Riley has been doing without her knowledge every time she engages in fun superheroics. Uh-oh. Yeah. Um, and we also have a nemesis that comes from this, right? And what I decided, and by the way, uh, if you're listening to this, big shout out and thank you to my dear friend, Ben, who kind of like helped me work through a lot of this. Um, and we, we kind of like poured over a million different ideas of like, you know, classic sci-fi and comics archetypes that, that we could play with here. Um, but like right before the start of the campaign proper, or maybe like at the start of it, Riley unleashes her powers on a level that causes the whole process of the infiltration probe to move into its next phase. Uh, into its next phase. She releases a being of light from herself. That being is called Kujora, and she identifies herself as something of a phase two unit, and as a little sister to Riley? Or, more accurately, to the being that she thinks Riley is, underneath the temporary persona of the infiltration shell. Kuyara is the name, or 
title or term that Kujara uses here. So Riley, as it turns out, is kind of just like a cover identity that's that's created to kind of like, you know, sell the process of the infiltration. Because um, like the, the Parhelion project was pretty much just under the impression that like, oh, this this is a girl that was like, you know, sent to us basically from future humans, right? Um, that 700 years in the future, we have this technology that allows for all this like cool stellar manipulation and time travel and cloning stuff to happen. Uh, but no, humans did not build Riley. Um, the Alvathi built her in the image of humans for the express purpose of creating uh, necessary conditions for the star harvesting process. And Riley was kind of supposed to just be like um, gone by this point. Um, and like this whole thing is like terrifying, right? Because um, apparently like now that Riley's primed the sun enough for like the process to move to its next phase, um, Kujora's job is to transmit a signal that'll give the Alvathi their spatial and temporal coordinates to send their fleet to. And if that arrives, it's not like an instant, like everything's over, but it, it's kind of like a, okay, all hands on deck, all adult superheroes are now treating this as a top priority situation. And we kind of want to like prevent it from getting to that point right um so that would be terrifying enough on its own but like i said she's not supposed to exist at this point um kujora is like very confused basically that riley is still here because it's like wait no the the infiltration shell is supposed to have kind of like faded away with each successive use of the powers and like if i'm awake then kuyara should also be awake um and it it doesn't make sense for it to be one without the other. Um, but like, you know, Riley feels fine. As fine as she can feel with like, you know, having received all this doom information. Um, but it, it, it is this like a very weird situation that she's facing where she's basically been told that like in a real sense, you don't exist. And, you know, if you keep using your powers, then you'll probably exist even less um and she's kind of you know like trying to figure out what she wants to do about all of this right like is using her powers to fight her new nemesis just going to make things worse by like bringing kuyara to the forefront and giving her control over this body and these powers um and more importantly perhaps did she really waste most of the time she has in this world being too scared to tell mary how she feels yeah, yeah, that's um, that's kind of a situation that she finds herself in. Um, and I would love to hear what Mary thinks about all of this. Uh, okay. So. Uh huh. I think. I think Mary's um, I think her main reaction is something like. Her, like, first, her, like, gut reaction, okay? We're talking first order thinking, okay? I want to be clear. Not using her most, like... Like from Star Wars. N- no. No. Like, neurology. <laughs> but I- I'm t- okay. talking, like, this is not using her best and full brain here. <laughs> she's just kind of... Okay, like, let's hear it. She's like, that's just what being a kid's like, man. It's like everyone tells me... <laughs> 
It's like everyone telling you you gotta do stupid shit that you don't want to do. This is not good for you, but it's good for them. So, like, fuck them. Whatever. Man. Let's go beat up your little that's, sister, man. That's so much. <laughs> that's so fucking much. Is she wrong, though? It's stupid, but is she wrong? Uh, she's not, like, 100% wrong. She's, like, 60% there, right? Yeah, I, I think 60 is about, like, a good estimation of how much she got things right. <laughs> um, I put in a lot of, like, mans and stuff there. That's not actually how Mary talks, right? But, for sure. but like, I think, like, see, the messed up part about it is I think, like, I think it probably... So, so I was very interested when, like, I brought this question up about, like, which label would this nudge upwards and i feel like it's probably mundane which is a very weird one and not what i was expecting i think so too. but it does feel like a, a great moment of like nudging up mundane by just being like yeah this kind of happens to everyone like you've got it bad but like not in a way that's like completely foreign to to me and you know other kids who have shit bad because mm-hmm. like i think this um, is the weird thing is that like Riley's situation is basically what Mary is afraid that her situation is. Uh-huh. That, like, Riley is the one who actually has this, like, dark secret that, like, chain- recontextualizes, like, who she is and, like, what her purpose is. And then, like, ties her to something that is, like, bad and wrong, you know? Yeah. And... I think partially, like, this reveal, I think probably, like, a lot of what it does is, like, Mary, like, force Mary to have this internal thing of, like, man, my problems are really stupid, huh? Like, the the things (laughs) I was worrying about were, like, not important. Yeah. Not not that important. Um, I don't have any star empires that are, like, you know, using me as a fulcrum for anything. I just have, like... I can't stress enough that sometimes my hands are, like, tasers. Yeah. And, like, like, once I got really mad and spat lightning. Yeah, it's like, I I guess the, you know, U.S. criminal justice system is fucked up in a similar way to how, like, a star harvesting empire of, of, you know, hard light time travelers is, but... But in other ways, it's not. <laughs> yeah, and, and so like, I, I and so like, I think the better version, the like second order thinking of this is like, I, you know, thinking like I am, I am not secretly an alien infiltrator unit, but sometimes I feel like an alien infiltrator unit, and they <laughs> <laughs> think like, and oh they think God. this means that I can be here for my friend slash. Girl, a girl who has a crush. Maybe I have a crush too, but like, I you know, I think like her resolve would be to like be there for Riley, um, and to be like, yeah. you know, we don't know like why you're here and why you haven't like turned into like a different like an like a true alien like harvesting unit, but like you haven't, so that doesn't so that means that's not what you are, you know, like for sure, so. And then, like, you know, um, you know, like, be, being there and, like, comforting her and being like, okay, do we need to beat up your little sister, though? 
I mean, she's uh, she's she's gonna be transmitting signals to <laughs> little sisters bring this are empire always doing up. that. No, if, if uh, okay, <clears throat> I'm sorry. If you're listening to this and you're a little sister of anyone, then like, I'm sorry. Grow the fuck up. Stop transmitting signals. Stop emitting beacons. It's gross. It's not cute. We don't love yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I love that though. I I love that that set of reactions. Um, to the question though of like beating up the little sister, like you know she's the nemesis on this the uh, the playbook, right? But I think that there also is like a a sort of complication here because I think in in one sense you know Kujora is this very like ruthlessly dedicated and loyal person that is like horrible and you know uh, uh genocidal goal um but i think that like riley takes very little time to start like sympathizing with her um and because i i think that like a moment that really kind of like is gonna stick with her is this idea of um when uh like kujora first showed up and kind of assumed that Kuyara had also woken up, but was just like kind of continuing the infiltration process. Um, and the way that like Kujara spoke to her when she thought that like this is my sister in front of me was just like very like affectionate and grateful to have someone to like talk to and and to to like be there for her. And now Kujara doesn't have that, right? It's like I thought I had a sister, a confidant, a like a partner in this mission that would otherwise be extremely lonely, but now I don't. And like, I am confused. I am lonely. I am in pain. Like none of this makes sense. I was supposed to have like some kind of support for this in the material sense and in the emotional sense. Um, and I did want to make sure that like, you know, the, the way that like the Aovathi or at least like these, you know, these, these like infiltration probes as we've been talking about them work it's it's not that they're like you know sort of beep boop i am the superior you know alien that that does not care for your like human emotions or anything like that um i think that like the the situation that like riley kind of comes away from it with is that like oh i mean like this is a horrible goal that you know she's trying to pursue here but like she fundamentally just kind of seems like a kid that's been suckered into this um and if there are like you know there probably are like extremely just straight on their face evil Alvathi, but they're the ones that would show up like if she kind of meets her goal. So there's definitely like this sort of instinct of like, right, but can we find some situation that makes everyone happy? Like, is it is it possible? Um, and of course, like, you know, Kujara doesn't really want to hear that so much as she wants to be like, shut the fuck up and give me my sister back. To which Mary has a first order, like, I know about being a big sister. (laughs) (laughs) This is familiar to me. Oh, man, I love how much Mary is just like, oh, 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 this is my stuff. And then is like, okay, it's not like my stuff. But if you think about it, this is an experience all people share. God, she's so cool. She's trying. Uh, I'm not gonna, like, explain this or dive into it, but, like, she's so Irish-American. Yeah. Yeah. No, she is. Listen. I'm writing this- I'm writing this- I'm writing this from, you know, 
ethnic knowledge. That's right. One of the worst white ethnicities that you can be. Yeah, uh, you know, you said it, not me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Fine. Listen, but, if you're an Irish American, grow up. Yeah, that's childish. That's childish. <laughs> quit, quit the police force, bitch. Yeah. Uh, um, I believe in like uh, uh, an earlier version, you did. Uh, you were considering having like Mary's parents be on the police force, but you were just like, no, that that's that's like either too on the nose or just uninteresting. Yeah, or... I was gonna have Mary's dad be a cop, but then, yeah, like you said, yeah. it felt like... It felt just, like, not that interesting and, like, kind of out of step with the tone of the game. Like, you can have a dad sure. who's, like, a shitty state professional job that you hate. But, like... Yeah, absolutely. You know, cops and superhero stories are, like, something else, you know? Mm-hmm. Um... Yeah. Even when they're bad cops, they're, like, not the specific kind of cop that I wanted Mary's dad to be. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. By the way, I so, think Mary's dad is, like, fine. <laughs> he's, yeah. he's he's an annoying liberal. Yeah. We love yeah. the liberal prosecutor. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, interpersonally, he's, he's fine. He's just like, we are going to lower mandatory minimums by five years. And I think he has, is Woo! the thing. We did it. Injustice is over. I think he has done that, which is, you know, the worst thing. Yeah. <laughs> I think his thing is like, right, we cool. are no longer locking people up for drug charges. Or locking, well, locking, yeah. we are no longer locking people up for life for drug charges. Now, it's only five years. Man. <sighs> you, you, you told me that he's like, you just told me that he's like, basically fine on a personal level, yeah. but it's just like, I mean, that's how you I'm... can't you can't talk in th- that much about like the actual policies without having me say shut the fuck up, Mister Brian Callahan. I mean, that's how it is, right? Like, this is how it yeah. works: is that the guy does this stuff, and then he goes home to his daughters, and he's like, "I love my two daughters. They are so precious to me. <laughs> <laughs> they are beautiful." There you go. I am not paying attention to how one of them is kind of raising the other one. Oh because man! I am always um, at the office doing prosecutor shit. All right. Um, I want to uh, kind of talk about like one or two more things before we get on to like our final questions. Sure. Um, and this this is kind of like a question, but it's a bit more of like an open ended exchange thing. Uh, so first off, I think that there is absolutely because I'm a total sucker for these um, a moment in the story where like. Kujora kind of executes some sort of override and kind of like forces Kuyara to the forefront. And then it's like, oh shit, Riley's, you know, been been taken over by like, you know, the the alien that's been like kind of living within her for this whole time. Mm-hmm. And like we gotta stop her now, but we've also gotta like, you know, figure out if we can a way to do it and bring Riley back. Mm-hmm. And uh how does your pal, uh, Mary Callahan, a.k.a. Aurelia, feel during that whole circumstance? Ooh, first of all, she's not my pal. She's my daughter. Just get that straight. <laughs> I'm Mary Callahan's dead mother. All right. Um, Hello, Mary Callahan's dead mother. Change your uh, change your display name to that. <laughs> I don't believe you. Yeah, I'll do that on Twitter. 
and it, won't, right, and it won't make any sense for like a week. Yeah, and I'll, I'll change mine to future girl Hannah. <laughs> um, well, I, so I'd like to draw your attention to Mary's move called Game Face, which starts when you commit yourself to saving someone or defeating a terrible enemy. <laughs> I was waiting for that to pay off. <laughs> Fuck yeah. yeah. And I think that is the start of a long and like harrowing series of events. Um, which not too long. I'd like to get back to playing the character at some point. <laughs> uh, well, okay, just a harrowing series of events. a climactic and harrowing which, series of which events. Which ends with Mary being like, "Okay, this is not normal to do for another girl." <laughs> okay, <laughs> when I get her back, I'm going to not be a coward anymore. Um, and then I think yeah. she probably like lightning zaps. Um, Kujora. What? Kuyara is the one that's like sharing a body okay. with. Then she probably uh, with lightning Riley. zaps uh, Kuyara so hard <laughs> that Riley comes back. And we love to hear it. Don't ask me the exact mechanics of it. Um, no, it's listen. It's it's you have something that like manipulates energy. I have something that like creates constructs of light, which is a type of energy. I, I think it would be. I think also... it would be sick if actually Mary absorbed Kuyara instead. <laughs> Oh man! Oh, that's a that lot. That is a lot. Uh, okay. Um, I'm super interested in figuring out what that means, but not on the podcast. First of, okay, first of all, one of her eyes changes color. Oh Wait, man! Come on, to purple. To purple, because that's that's what Avathi eyes are yeah. colored. And then right, imagine cool. the Avathi getting here and being like, "What the fuck? <laughs> what happened? Fuck." Yeah, yeah, it just just feels like a, a big problem for everyone. It just, just causes an issue. Um, yeah, I also feel like, okay, I think that probably the way in which this happens is that, like, Riley is kind of, like, getting ready to confront Kujora and is is kind of, like, probably in a moment where, like, her labels have been fucked with enough that, like, you know, she kind of feels like, oh, this is my responsibility I'm the only one that's like strong enough to take her on. And I'm also, you know, the one whose fault this is. So I have to do this. And I think that like, you know, before she goes, she kind of like, you know, tells Mary that like, you know, I've, I've, I kind of gotten the sense that you don't like me very much, but you know, if I'm finally going to admit it, I really like you a whole lot. And this might be my last chance to tell you that. And it's always made me really happy to be able to fight alongside you and fight for you. Bye. And then she like, you know, zooms off uh, like too fast to really be responded to. And I think that like, as you said, after she comes back, that Mary is very much in a position of like, I finally have to like tell her basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that if she does that, like Riley would hurt to, to borrow a term from a great and wise thinker. Her first order reaction would be to be like, what the fuck? You like me back this whole time? (laughs) It's just like shove her really hard and just be like, you mean I was pining for nothing? Well, not for nothing. (laughs) (laughs) And it's just like, oh yeah, that's easy for you to say, bitch. They probably do get in another fight. (laughs) 
<laughs> like, yeah, like, yeah. As, I think it's probably like Mary's confession is going to happen in the immediate aftermath of absorbing her alter ego? Question mark. Yeah. And then they're gonna get in another fight, which will probably end when Mary just like collapses from the first good punch. We're gonna we're gonna make this so fucking teen melodrama. <laughs> it's more like teen comedy at that at that point. It, it can be both. Yeah, like it's a serious scene up until like Mar- Mary gets hit once and is just like laid out, and she's like, "Oh yeah, by the way." <laughs> yeah, 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 it's it's um it's the sort of scene that like uh the TV tropes page for this cartoon has it in the crowning moment of like everything basically. <laughs> yeah. God. Oh boy. <sighs> Shout out to TV tropes. Love you guys. You're very stupid. I hate but you guys. Don't let that stop you. <laughs> Shut the- Dude, if you're on TV tropes, grow up. Grow Get up. Get educated. <laughs> it's childish. Yeah, that's childish dog. Yeah. <laughs> we are so loose this episode. I love we it. We are. Look, someone's playing Spanish music. Um, there's been like yeah, yeah, four yeah. different ambulances go by my my uh, window. I'm like a little jazzed. All right. Uh, I feel like that's everything that I wanted to say about my good pal. Um, oh, right. Last thing, actually, before we, we get to the questions. Um, would you like to know whether or not she does survive her doom and turn into another playbook? I want to know. She does. <laughs> Mary does. I, Mary, I do feel like. Mary will, in fact, have a girlfriend. Yeah, bitch. <laughs> Through no fault of your own. <laughs> well, I mean, I feel like she contributed. She did like there yeah. was some uh, there was some uh, alternate uh, like alter ego absorption going on. There was, um, and I, I I do think that like this is kind of a moment where like um, Riley finally kind of works up the courage to not only like you know really tell her about it and embrace like the relationship but also to be able to like give mary shit back Mm -hmm. um i think that like the the dynamic is fundamentally similar uh in in some sense to the way that it was before um they got together but like i do think that riley is like a little more able now to just be like you know bitch you act like you are so cool and you are so above everything that i'm doing and i know for a fact that you are just as much of like a embarrassing teen as I am. Because now Riley has, like, direct experience, you know? For sure. Um, yeah, I don't know what, um, playbook she would change into afterwards, um, and I don't think that that's necessarily the sort of thing that, like, I have to have a good answer for on this podcast, but, uh, she would confront her doom on her own terms, survive, and, um, change to another playbook. The one that I think kind of sounds the most interesting, I don't know if it would work with, like, the power set. It might involve her, like, losing some of her powers, given that this is a a book that's supposed to have, like, especially straightforward powers. And I think that the the kind of, like, real open-endedness of all that, like, hard light manipulation stuff is, like, a bit of a tough sell for it. Um, But, you know, I don't actually know how this game works. There could be ways to make that work. But the playbook is the bull. Um, because I think that a situation in which, like, Kujora survives and is kind of, like, you know, redeemed and has sense knocked into her and, like, is convinced to give up this mission of bringing the, the Alvathi fleet here, 
Um, and then fundamentally a situation where, you know, I mentioned earlier that the bull playbook is defined by having exactly one lover and one rival. Uh, that's Mary and Kujora respectively. <laughs> I like, I like the idea that Mary, like Mary is Riley's literal girlfriend, but is constantly flip-flopping between love and rival. Yeah. <laughs> I love that idea. That rules. Yeah. I also wanted to say, read their relationship, that it is hard to take too much shit from a girl once you have seen her eat an entire bat, like two entire bags of Chipotle chips and then get a stomach ache and lie around on the floor of your secret library headquarters being like, oh man, I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> Riley just like giving her shit by like putting her chin in her hands and being like, oh babe, you're so alluring right now. <laughs> Probably whatever is left of uh, Kuyara also giving her shit. Yeah. <laughs> Alright, I love this situation. Um, just just all these girls, three of which are from the future, two of which are aliens, and all of whom are insufferable in their own way, just like having this, this weird and, and uh, uh, you know, overall loving life together. Cool. Let's do some. Let's right. do some questions. Yeah. Uh, you want to go first? Yeah. I'm. I'm a little. Hmm. I, I'm a little unenthused about these questions now because I feel like they kind of go back in time. To oh damn. It's okay. It's one now. We can go back in time. Yeah, I just feel like I'm less interested in the answers now. We've kind of, like, gone forward to a place where it's like, well, now I'm interested in that status quo. I'm not interested in the pre-status quo. All right. If you want to, to hit me with new ones. Uh, okay. They might not be my best questions, but I want to hit with some, like, ending status quo questions. Um, so let's go, Fuck let's yeah. go with the silly one, which is, um, do you have any ideas for, like, Mary's worst date idea? Oh man! Like something that just does uh, not work out. Yeah. Uh, so I I think that like, um, <laughs> I love the idea that like Mary kind of like understands that Riley is like a um, really into like streetwear and fashion, um, and I I think that like rather than taking her to like you know a runway show or like. You know, even a uh, like a pop up store where they have like you know the latest Virgil Abloh drop or something like that. Um, she just takes her to like a shoe store in a mall. Um, <laughs> like, oh, girl, yeah, no. we're we're fucked up at the Aldo <laughs> in the mall, <laughs> and Riley's just like, wait, wait, okay, but where where's the date gonna be? And <laughs> I was like, oh, wait. I, Mary's I, like, okay, I can salvage it? this. Like, she yeah. Can't salvage I do think that, like, she, I think that she salvages it in the way that, like, you know, they end up having a good time and, like, you know, they they end up um, sort of, like, it's it's a very fun memory to, to look back on, at mm-hmm. least. Um, at least for Riley. Yeah. I think Mary's <laughs> very embarrassed about it. Even if they do manage to have a fun time, it's probably just, like, Oh man, I really thought that was a good idea, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so okay. Uh I 
let me ask a silliest question. Um, and this one, I do think I want to like kind of go back to the the sort of like courtship process. But for my other one, I'm going to rewrite it as well to be like kind of a, a future status quo deal. So what is uh, during the, the time before they get together, uh, Riley's corniest or goofiest ever attempt to impress Mary? Uh, and how does the attempt somehow work out for her anyway, even if it doesn't succeed at its like literal goal? You're being kind of an imp. Hmm? No, I'm not cackling. I'm thinking. These are thinking noises. You can do both. Okay. So this is this is going to have kind of a sinister edge, given what we know the purpose of Riley's powers are. Sure. But I was thinking that, like, Mary... Riley could have picked up on something that, like, Mary wanted to do, you know? That, like, but that she couldn't, you know? Mary said something about, like, oh, I'd like to go here or, like, do this, but I can't, you know, because, you know, name anything. Like, I want to go to this, like, theme park, but it's closed or something like that, you know? Um, and so yeah. I think Riley could try to, like, impress her by creating that thing as, like, a light construct, in a very, like, cheesy and, like, obvious, like, I'm trying to impress you bit. Um, yeah, she's definitely thinking to herself as she does this, I'm so gallant. Yeah, like, ooh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make this, uh, or, like, you know, um, oh, oh, I know what it is. Um, what Mary that? has to miss, like, a Mary has to miss, like, a like, a family, like, a, like, a school trip, um, to, mm-hmm. like, you know, she goes to a fancy private school. so like, somewhere cool, right? So, like, she's gonna miss, like, yeah. a tourist destination or something. And then, like, Riley just creates that with her light construct. Um, and it's really obvious. Um, I bet she phrases it as, like, you had to miss it because you were doing superhero shit with us. But, like, hey, what if I made it? You know, it's, like, a way to make it up to you. Um, and it's very cheesy and probably, like, not very actually interesting to look at. <laughs> Um, mm-hmm. but I think it works cause like the, the feeling of it comes through, you know, it's like, sometimes yeah. it's like, well, your gesture didn't really work out the way you intended to, but I appreciate that. Like you really seriously tried and I can't fault you for like it not being like actually that cool to like look at this thing in a hard light construct. Cause there's like not the detail of the actual thing. For sure. All right. Uh, do you have a serious question for me? I mean, so feel free to veto this because I know you said you weren't super interested in figuring out what like the absorption of of Kuyara would like mean. Um, but I would be interested, like, in like what's like a side effect that Mary just like deals with for the rest of her life from that. Yeah. Um. I think that she kind of like. Uh, this might not be the only one, but the first one that I can think of is that she kind of gets, like, flashes and visions of the Alvathi Empire um, in ways that, like, both kind of feel, like, really terrifying because, like, it is this, like, you know, universe-bestriding colossus of, like, we are going to convert everything into an instantiation of ourselves. And, like, it doesn't actually matter if we, like, burn out every star because, you know, we are like, time-traveling beings that can just, like, 
loop back into our own pasts and and kind of like incorporate everything into to ourselves. But I think that there's also like really magnificent stuff in there. Um, and I, I, I think that like getting these little like kind of glimpses of it is something that like notably Riley doesn't get these glimpses um, because like she didn't have the same type of like, you know, forced absorption like situation with Kuyara. Um, and I, I think that it's like, you know, we have one person on this planet who has anything more of like a concrete experience with it uh, of like what the Alvathi Empire is and what it's supposed to be. Um, so I think that there's like definitely moments where like it would be up to you whether she would act on it. But I think that there's this, at the very least, this temptation to just kind of like approach Kujora and kind of awkwardly be like, so, <laughs> so what's the Empire like? Okay, so I saw a Dyson Sphere, but like a fucked up Dyson Sphere, but like a cool fucked up <laughs> You know? Yeah, and, and like, Kujura's immediately like, oh, one of our fucked up Dyson Spheres. Yeah, those are awesome. Yeah, those are, and Mary's like, it is kind of cool, but do you ever think about how it's kind of fucked up? <laughs> yeah. Um, so, like, I think that this kind of, like, transitions well into my um, kind of, like, uh, serious question, which is... Um, I feel like it's definitely something that, like, goes beyond, over time, that initial, like, moment of pity, so to speak, of of just being like, oh, I saw how, like, you know, desperate and lonely you are and how much, like, you know, you're not the architect of how fucked up this is. You're somebody who's, like, victimized by it the same way that I am, in a sense. Um, in a very different sense, realistically, but, you know... We've established that these teens love to do the, the sort of, like, what you're going through is just like what I'm going through, even when it's, like, 60% true at best. Um, so, but the question is basically, like, you know, I I think that, like, um, Riley really tries to make efforts to have, like, an actual relationship with Kujora after, um, you know, things kind of progress from, like, that nemesis state to that rival state, basically. Um, and how does that relationship actually, like, look? Like, what's the dynamic between them, you know? Like, is it, you know, it's it's clearly not, like, you know, all roses because it, there's some kind of tension still that makes it a rival. But, like, what is it like between the two of them now that, like, Kujora is just here and not actively trying to end the world? So what I'm kind of thinking about is, like, I think the thing is, like, if Kujora was a player character she would probably definitely be like an outsider um mm-hmm. i think she has this kind of like but like the outsider also calls you to like ask whether like you know are you a cheerful like starfire type alien where you just love being here and love like learning about the earth or are you like a haughty kind of alien where you think you're better than everyone and so i think kajora is definitely that and I think that's yeah. where a lot of tension comes from is I think for a long time, she kind of sees herself as being like stuck on earth and kind of stuck with like Riley instead and like kind of Mary <laughs> instead of Kuyara. Cause you know, that's how. Yeah. That works. And there's like flashes of Kuyara that come out at some point, but it's, it's still not like a replacement for yeah. it. And so I think like, 
Kujura has these long periods where she just kind of, like, dips. Like, she just leaves. Um, and she, like, mm-hmm. goes to somewhere else on Earth and is, like, kind of angrily, like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go see this piece of shit place and figure out how, <laughs> how this place sucks and is nothing like, it's not like my planet, it's not like my empire, which is better and cooler. Um, and yeah. she probably has, like, uh, and then she probably has, like, some really good street food. And she's like, shit. I mean, this place still sucks, but, like, <laughs> this is nice. What is this? Tell me about this. Yeah. She, like, talks to, like, the food vendor for, like, two hours, just being like, tell me about this. Um, and then mm-hmm. comes back to Riley and will be like, have you heard about churros? Let me tell you about churros. And then just, like, talks extensively oh. about them. I was gonna say I was gonna say John Bing is what she like falls in love with quickly. I've never had John Bing. Those are um like Chinese uh, savory crepes. Ooh. Um, they're like a, a classic street food, I believe, specifically in Beijing. Although um, I think that they might be like a little broader spread than that. But they're really fucking yeah. good. Shout out to uh, John Bing. <laughs> well then, uh, well then you know. Um... Kujura comes back and just talks about John Bing really extensively yeah. until Riley's like, so you really like this, huh? And, Kuj- and Kujura-, Kujura goes, no, I do not. I do not like it. Uh-huh. It's it completely inferior okay. to this like kind of Alvathy like practice. And so she just kind of like, she slingshots back and forth. And I think occasionally she's a rival in that she'll like come up with a scheme to try to like, not like imperil Earth, but to get back to the Alvathy. And so they have to kind of, like, talk her out of it or sometimes have a fight with her. Um, yeah. And, but, like, I, I... I I really like that idea that, that she's, like, been convinced at the very least that, like, okay, well, like, you guys are enough of, like, you know, beings with, with like, meaningful consciousness that, like, I probably shouldn't, like, cause your extinction. But... You still suck way more than the Alvathi, and like it's really frustrating that you can't like you know perceive time in the way that I do, and you can't like you know. I try to open. Be part of this like, like. I get an idea to open a wormhole in the sky to go back to the Empire, and that would be completely fine. And everyone gets mad at me about opening wormholes, even though <laughs> the Alvathi can open wormholes whenever they want, and it's never a problem. Okay, I I just wanted to quickly say that um. I've seen not much of this show, but I feel like I've seen enough Steven Universe to say that, like, we have backed our <laughs> way into the Steven Universe type shit, and I'm gonna need our loyal fans to to let me know just how much we've ended up with some Steven Universe type shit here. Uh, oh, man. I haven't watched all of Steven Universe, but I do feel like you can probably just pick, a, pick one of the Steven Universe characters and be like, that's Kujora. Yeah, a little bit. I'm sorry for um, if you want to tell this. me which one, I won't mind. Uh, I, I won't, yeah, hit me up on I Twitter. My at is Great Grebe on Twitter. Just uh, flood me with replies, uh, yeah. telling me which Steven Universe character is. Remember, that's Great Grebe is my Twitter account, like the bird. Yeah. Meanwhile, you can find me on Twitter at Hannah Yolo. Um, <laughs> I don't know why my at is <laughs> Hannah's name, but it's a Halloween bit, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Cool. DM me. Uh, sure. DM me. Um, ephemera about and trivia about the AK forty seven. Yeah. Cool. <sighs>
Uh, I'm not sure how I'm supposed to, like, not want that. <laughs> I don't know. I couldn't think of a good idea. So, so it gives me, like, AK-47 trivia. I'm just like, thank you, friend. I wouldn't mind. I mean, talk to me about Steven Universe, I guess. I haven't seen the show, but, like, I'd be fine with that. I wouldn't hate it. All right. Um, so we're at the point of the episode where we're just, like, plugging our Twitters. Yeah. Uh, do we have anything else? It's spelled H-A-N-N-A-H-Y-O-L-E-A-U, by the way, um, is Olivia's Twitter and, account. And Hannah's is a type of bird. It is a type of bird, that's right. I don't even like birds that much. No, that's that's more of a crystal yeah, thing. Birds are fine. I don't hate birds, but like, I'm not like a bird enthusiast the way that I feel like maybe your Twitter account handle makes me <laughs> seem this is our dumbest outro bit I'm ever. I'm so glad that we are keeping up with this bit. Okay. Let's let's mercifully cut it short uh, because it's only going to get cornier the more we talk about it. All right. Bye. All right. Take care, everyone. Bye bye.